So the intro is a little long, so saddle up. You'll be bored, but it's fine. You already know it. It's you. All right. Ready? You ready to go? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, hi. You're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest comedian, actor, and as of a month ago, published author Tez Ilias. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. That's perfect. Thank, Thank you. you. What an intro. Yeah. It's Oh, it's longer. Get ready. Tez Ilias is one of the most celebrated stars in British comedy. In 2015, his debut stand-up tour, Tez Talks, was shot in front of a sold-out crowd in London and skyrocketed his career. In 2016, his highly anticipated follow-up show, Made in Britain, went on to sell out every single performance at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. His third show, Testify, once again delivered a spectacularly powerful, provocative, and brilliantly funny hour of topical stand-up, delivering to packed-out audiences night after night. Tez has appeared at Live at the Apollo, The Chris Ramsey Show, Man Like Bo- Mo Bean, which we are totally going to get to because I fucking love that show, Live from the Comedy Store, Kevin Hart's Live from Montreal, Roast Battle, and The Great British Bake Off, An Extra Slice, to name only a few of his credits because his bio was making me feel covered in shame, so I trimmed it way, way down. Okay, let's keep going. In 2019, he fronted his own Channel 4 satirical sketch series, The Tez O'Clock Show. You guys notice the puns on his names. He does it a lot. And now get ready to feel really lazy and dumb, all of our listeners. Here's how Tez spent his quarantine. In 2020, Tez released his first stand-up comedy special, Tez Defy, recorded live at the South Bank Center. And in 2021, Tez embarked on, will be embarking on a new nationwide tour show, Populist, on the heels of releasing his first book, a teenage memoir entitled The Secret Diary of a British Muslim, Age 13 and three quarters. Y'all, that's how he spent this last year. How dumb do you feel? I better know Tez from seeing him on Man Like Mobeen and then having mutual friends in comedy who vetted him and demanded that he be on the show. He's for sure way too famous to have said yes to this podcast, but he did. So y'all go buy his book, watch his special. Tez defies up on YouTube and it's hilarious. You should definitely watch it. That said, now we're going to let Tez talk. See what I did there? So Tez, <laughs> tell us what got you into comedy? Why'd you leave London? Why does your accent sound a little bit Scottish? When is your U.S. tour? Tell us everything. I mean, I'll go in. I want to address the Scottish one first, but uh, my, my, oh, my mild OCD makes me want to go in order. So I got into comedy because I'm so funny. And I thought it is not fair to not share this gift with other people. <laughs> but the, I was, I was in, I went to London. I, I don't live in London. I live in, in the north of England. What would you, what do you call upstate New York? Yeah, there you go. So I live the equivalent of like Rochester to New York City, uh, and and in England that's a long way. Like that's for you guys. That's like yeah, that's an afternoon drive. But for us, that's like <laughs> oh my god, the other side of the country. So <laughs> I moved to London for my day job, and I just needed a hobby. Like I was bored. Like it's not like the sitcoms like Friends and How I Met Your Mother where everyone lives together and everyone goes to the same bar every single evening. My friends were scattered around the city, scattered around the world actually because it was my first job out of university or what you guys would call college. And so I needed something to do. And I Googled writing workshops because I thought I'd do some creative writing, make some new friends, that sort of thing. Uh, and I accidentally came across a stand-up workshop and I thought, huh, my friends always tell me I'm funny. 
I'm deluded enough to believe them. I thought, worst case scenario, I'd meet some new people, make a fool of myself. I can live with both of those things. And so I went on this thing. It was one day a week for six weeks. These things, they don't teach you how to be funny, but they get you into writing, the mechanics of stand-up, the do's and don'ts. They kind of, it skips kind of six months worth of open mic training, I think, going on like a workshop or a course or something. So I did that. And then at the end of the workshop, there was, after like six weeks, there was a showcase where everyone on it invited their friends and family. And that was my first ever gig. Kind of, a, it's quite a safe space, quite a safe gig. Um, I had friends, who t- I had friends, I told my friends to come in and, and I was like, just please be inconspicuous, sit at the back, do all that. <laughs> These motherfuckers came in with t-shirts saying, <laughs> way on the test hall and sat right... And then sat right at the front. What like, assholes. Assholes. <laughs> and that was my, f- but then people, when it was my turn to go on, people laughed in the right place and I kind of got bitten. And we're now here almost 11 years later. And yeah, the journey, the sort of things you described have happened and it's been quite surreal. I left London after six and a half years into my stand-up career because that was when I left my day job and went into comedy full-time. Oh. And so I didn't want to spend my hard-earned comedy earnings paying rent in London. And also, like, if I did want to pay rent in London, I'd have to significantly downgrade my lifestyle. And as I was in my mid-30s, I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. So I moved back home. My mum's on her own, so I moved back in with my mum. And now I commute from Blackburn uh, in the north of England and where I need to go. For example, tonight, after this, I've got a gig in uh, Liverpool, which you'll know from the Beatles. Um, I know it from soccer. I, Give me some credit. I, I pay okay. it. I'm sorry, also, football. Uh, there's also... There's also football, um, <laughs> of course. Um, I do not sound Scottish, so I do not know where you've got that from. You Like you a little bit do? I heard it. The only thing I can think is that the north of England obviously borders Scotland. And so maybe the watered down southern part of Scotland and the hard part of northern England. Maybe there's a slight mix, but it's no one in Britain has ever said to me, a sound Scottish. That's because no one in Britain so, knows. I'm listening. I'm listening hard, Tez. And I heard, I've heard. i heard it a few times. I'm like, there's a little bit of Scottish. And I promise okay, you. Okay. okay, well, it's purely <laughs> accidental. Scot- <laughs> Scottish. That's Scottish. And I don't know. You Scottish. do You that's, do it a little more subtly Scottish. than that. Sco- Scottish. They're- Scottish. Scottish. <laughs> but, okay. No, no. Okay, fine. Uh, and your final <laughs> question was, what was so, your last question? Um, when is your US tour? My US tour. Well, now that you have voted out the guy who wouldn't want me there. Not that I think Joe Biden particularly wants me there, but, you know, he's not overtly against me being in your country, I don't think. You know, it's something that I want to look at. Obviously, we've got to look at this corona stuff as well. But maybe 2022, maybe hit the, hit the, hit the major cities. New York, D.C., L.A. You feel called towards, like, you think D.C. would have... I mean, I guess that makes sense. That's sort of... Michigan? A, <laughs> crushing it in michigan that's a huge market you know yeah, dearborn right De- how do you know about dearborn i am very well versed in american <laughs> a, from watching a lifetime of watching wwf and wwe growing up ah uh, so they always like live from pittsburgh pennsylvania so i'm like pittsburgh is in pennsylvania okay good snow uh and so you know they went across i'm not saying it's like it's not like amazing i can't i don't think i could list all 50 states off the top of the dome but I, I kind of know a little bit. And I know Dearborn, Michigan has a massive uh, Muslim uh, American population that I'm aware of that. Because, you know, when you're on Twitter as well, you just absorb things. Like, people just absorb information that you just just there. And you're just like, okay, Dearborn has a big Muslim population. Check. That's so interesting. Okay. Um, I, 
I had heard that too. There's also, I believe there's a Muslim population, like weirdly in, it's not Nebraska. It's like in a pocket of Kansas. Like we have weird spots where there's like Muslims who Mm -hmm. are, yeah, it's cool. It's the community. All right. So I have to understand. So I want to go back really quickly. Have you, Mm -hmm. so with the comedy thing, when you were like, I would, I mean, I just think of a first show and it makes me want to throw up everywhere. So you do this first show and because your friends were super, you know, they laughed at the right places, you'd mention the word you got bit. So did you, were you like, oh, this forever? Like, this is all I want to do. Kind of. I don't think I was as honest as that with myself, but I definitely knew that I wanted to carry this on as far as I can. Because I didn't know where as far as I can would be. You know, as far as I can, could have been a year down the line going, okay, well, this has been great. Now back to the day job because I've got a super good promotion and now I don't have time to do it anymore. Or, um, or you know, it's where I am now and maybe even, you know, I have ambition to be beyond where I am. So, you know, things, things have worked out. But that first show, I remember just that feeling of just, because there's never been any, there's things I've been all right at in life. There are jobs that I've been okay at, but I've never been as good at anything as I am good at in stand-up comedy. Like even sports. I love sports. I'm super enthusiastic about sports. But my talent does not match my enthusiasm. There's a a big gap between those two things. Um, And so I was never good. I was always the last pick in football, even in cricket, which is a sport that we play over here. And so I was was never like the athlete. Um, I was never the most handsome kid in school that got all the girls. So, you know, I was always kind of like, just bobbling along, doing okay, like hosting. And when then stand-up hit, I was like, okay, I think this is the thing that I am best at that I've ever tried. Mm. And also I enjoy it a lot as well. And so I thought to myself, there, there, there are friends that I'm gigging with on the open mic circuit that are going to make it. And so I'm going to do everything I can in my power to see how far I can take this. Because I don't want to be in a position in 10 years' time where I gave up after two years and then I see my friends who are maybe <sighs> not as good as I am at that stage you know, making it. And I was like, and then talking to my friends going, that could have been me. And they're laughing at me going, yeah, right, mate, whatever. That would be crushing. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. be able to handle that. So wait, so what were your, okay, so that makes sense to me as far as like, this felt like the most natural progression. But most, I mean, it combines some of people's biggest fears, like standing up in front of people, being vulnerable and talking, because you talk incredibly deeply about your own personal experience. He makes it funny, y'all watch the specials, but you get real. And so isn't there mm. like that that level of vulnerability? Did you start with that in comedy? You were like, nope, I'm unzipping my skin. Here we go. How'd you get there? No, no, it came, it came later. I think it came... It came when I started developing my first one-man show, so my first hour. Before that, it was just make people laugh, 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 laugh. And then me and my manager sat down and we thought, you know, what, what is it that I want to say in this hour? It could be an hour of jokes, and that I'm sure would be fine. Or we could use it to say something. And we decided to do the latter. We thought we, we should, you know, given what is happening in the world, what people's views on Muslims are, is there not a responsibility so much, but is there something that you want to use this platform for? Is there something that you want to use this hour to do? And I thought, yeah, you know what? Some food for thought here. And I thought I should. I think I'm now at the stage, I think I've done two or three shows like that, but I'm now at the stage where I'm slightly moving away from that and more focusing more on the, just make people laugh for an hour. I think I'm 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 going back to that route because I think the things I want to say, they're they're just there for, they're going to be there for a long time. They're not changing. And it's like, Am I just going to start sound like a broken record? As the world is getting more and more polarized, is my show going to be more polarizing? I don't want that. So I think I kind of write to a theme anyway. 
So why not leave all that stuff I want to say in the subtext rather than the pretext? That's fascinating. That sense. Yeah, for sure it does. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, just dealing with, it's an, it, I hadn't, you're making my brain bleed. Like I hadn't thought about the fact that you have addressed a lot of, you know, uh, hate crimes and, and just overtly different treatment towards Muslims in whatever country you happen to be in. And so it's, mm. yeah, you don't want to keep, like you don't want to be the dude beating that drum, but I understand that conflict of, but you still want to have purposeful dialogue. That's not just like fart jokes and burps and whatever. And it's like, haha, isn't this funny? It's like, yes. Yeah. That's a really hard balance. I'm that's interesting to see. It'll be interesting to, to watch what you do in the future. Okay. So you wrote a book in quarantine. I did. You did that. Did. Yeah. Like a real <laughs> asshole. So how? I'm like an absolute dickhead. Yeah. Uh, how? I'm the worst person just, just wrote a little, look how thick it is. Yeah, well. that's a lot of pages. It's a, it's a tomb. <laughs> yeah. Look how cute I was. Look at how cute you used to be. What there. happened? Look oh, at 13 no, and three quarters Tez. You know what? I got handsome. That's what happened. <laughs> now you're getting the ladies. It's good. Wait, so what, how, how did you do that? I mean, what, why is the question? Um, <laughs> I, I, the, a publisher came to us right at the start of lockdown and just said, do you fancy writing your memoirs? I think people might be interested in that. And uh, the, the idea of writing a book was so daunting. Because if I write one, I'm gonna write, I want to write a proper one. I don't want to write like 100 pages. I want to write a proper book that people can sink their teeth into. And so I thought about it, and I thought, well, it is. And then it seemed like lockdown was going to prolong, and it didn't seem like this is going to be a one-month thing. So I thought, you know what, it would be, it would, maybe this is the opportunity to, you know, tick, that, tick that, some, that, that box off the bucket list and be like, yeah, I've written a book. Uh, so we, we talked about it back and forth to the publishers over a month and then we virtually shook hands and then I started writing it over the summer. And it's a it's a memoir of my teenage years growing up in the north of England during the 90s uh, as a as a British uh, Pakistani Muslim uh, kid. And yes, yeah, it was it's a fascinating experience going down memory lane, talking to my friends, talking to my family, going over my school reports, which I've kept in meticulous condition because I was a nerd. Um, <laughs> so that was that was oh, what a good kid he was to keep that. Keep, keep that and not throw it away. God bless it. And um, and yeah, it was amazing, just amazing experience to do. And I'm just, I'm so glad I got it done because it was, it was hard. You know, I, I realized like since I quit my day job, and since my third show, which I wrote in 2017, I haven't really written. I've been a bit lazy. I haven't really written that much. And so I lost the stamina of working, of of the discipline of sitting down and working six, seven, eight hours a day. I don't have it anymore. And so finding that again over the summer was the challenge was a challenge, but I managed to do it. I got I had a brilliant editor who gave me some good advice along the way and checked everything when she needed to. So that was good. And then yeah, released it in on my birthday on the eighth of April. That's fantastic. So, yeah, it's, it's now out there. The hardback, the ebook on the Kindle or wherever you get your ebooks from, and also the audio, which I recorded myself, obviously because I'm a comedian. Uh, and so a lot of people have been really keen on the on the audio book. So uh, if you've got an Audible account, you know, give me your give me your credit for the month. I think that they're keen on it because of your borderline Scottish accent. They're like, what do I hear here? That's a little bit different. Mm, I think it's that. That's fantastic. So how long? <laughs> the best, the, the most amazing compliment I had, I was doing a book event last week in Bath, which is a very beautiful city we have here. And uh, one of the late girls, ladies who was organizing it, like behind the scenes, she'd listened to my audiobook and she sent me a message later saying, oh, it was really nice to meet you and stuff. And um, just, I could listen to you all night. Like, I just want you to wake me up every day. <laughs> Just with your voice. And in my head, I was like, oh, hello. <laughs> and then 
it turns out she's gay. And I was like, oh, she just likes my talent. Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> Damn it. Okay, she genuinely just <laughs> likes me for my talent and is not fetishizing me. That is how awful. <laughs> I know. How what a awful. missed opportunity. That's such a bummer. <laughs> oh, my God. It's okay, so, so you spend, did it take you, because quarantine has, I mean, in the UK, you guys took it seriously because you had, you know, some leadership that actually didn't want you to die. So did you? Well, I mean, it's questionable, but more so than ours. On. The bar is Maybe. not high. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bar isn't very high. <laughs> no. Okay. So, yeah. how long of that actual period of well, now we're in over a year. But how long did it take you start to finish to pump out a thick tomb of a book? It, the first draft took me ten weeks. That I would is say. Fucking insane. But that also, like, insane. it is about my life. Like, I was writing about myself, so it wasn't like I wasn't writing Game of Thrones. You know, I wasn't. <laughs> You know, I wasn't writing 1984. I was writing about <laughs> me. So that makes it that makes the subject matter was easier. It was just about what to write. The first draft was a piece of shit as well. And then I got I got then there's probably another couple of months worth of editing. Uh, some of it very painful because I hate editing. I'm not very good at it. <sighs> yeah, sort of the back and forth with the editor. I my editor broke her arm at one point. She broke her arm not because of my book, but <laughs> but maybe coincidentally, yeah, maybe. Uh, but she broke her arm, and so I had to get so she couldn't do the typing thing. To, so she had to get another editor in who she had to give notes to, you know, for, for what she wanted to look in the edit. And then, so, yeah, I had to, and then, I, and then my editor came back like a month. It was just that window, because we needed this book to come out in the spring. If the book was coming out later, it would have been fine. We just waited for her to get better. But just, we needed that, win- and that window was crucial. So she had to just draft someone else in. So that was, that was interesting as well. So went through quite a journey together. It was Wh- good. Why did it have to come out in the spring? She wanted it to coincide with Ramadan. Oh. Which was like five days after my birthday. Uh, and so she wanted it, she was keen for it to come out then because that is a time when people who are not Muslim might be engaged in uh, finding out about what it is to be Muslim or what Muslims that's, do and stuff. So she thought, she's smart. She's that's, smart, smart yeah. She was doing her job. Yeah. Is that, that was the editor or your manager? E- editor. Now your manager is also female, correct? Yes, she is, yeah. And you've given her, in previous interviews, you've given her a ton of credit for the, the way that she's sort of helped your career. Yeah, yeah, she, she's amazing. How did you she's find amazing. her? So her, her, so Polly and her husband, Gel, Gelly, they're husband, husband and wife partnership. And I always feel bad because I always leave him out <laughs> of the praise. But Polly and Gelly love them both. So Polly's dad opened one of the oldest comedy clubs in the UK, Up the Creek Comedy Club in Greenwich, London. Um... So, so Polly's dad owned that. Well, I think he, I think he still owns it. He owns that. And then around the late noughties, early tens, Polly and Gelly started running the open mic night. So they started program programming the open mic night. And on the open mic night, you know, they noticed some comics that they liked and some comics that had a lot of potential. And Polly worked in TV at the time. Uh, like she made her way up from TV, like to quite a, like a junior producer kind of role. So she knew everyone across TV, across the TV landscape, and therefore in comedy as well. So she, there was one guy she particularly liked called Dane Baptiste, and they're really enamored with him, uh, a black black guy from from London. And they tried to get him a manage, they tried to get him management because he was unrepresented, and everyone just kept kept knocking them back. And, and one of the agents replied back saying, "And bear in mind, this is like 2013, 14, so not that long ago." But one of the managers, one of the management that they email came back and said oh but we already have a black guy so sure you know, and we're sure. talking like we're talking like you know eight or seven eight years ago it wasn't that long ago so in their frustration they decided to create their own management amazing and and so dane was their first client and i came in very early on i think i was like second or maybe third person in 
so yeah, so I, you know, I, I'd, I'd done their night through their open mic night. So I think the first time I went there, Polly thought I was really arrogant um, and shit. Uh, <laughs> and now she thinks, and now she really thinks I'm arrogant. So that was we made some progress. Um, no, she just, I just, I just think I left a very good impression with her. But one of the other guys designed, I know, one of the other guys designed. Yeah, so I was third because I know was second. He was adamant that they keep that they look at me properly because Polly was like, I've seen him. Like I'm not. I think, and then I think it was the third time that they saw me. The penny dropped, and they were like, "Oh, okay, we get it now. We're on board." Uh, and then they made an approach, and over the I think over six months, like back and forth, I eventually said yes. And that was December 2013. So I was I signed with them, and yeah, and so it was it was really nice for me because as my career was progressing, the management company that was growing and progressing. So it's kind of like my growth was their growth, and their growth was my growth. So we were kind of just really invested in each other. And Polly and Gary are amazing. They only take on clients that they genuinely believe in. They're not, they're not obviously, they want to make money, but that they don't take on clients who will immediately make the money. They take on clients that they can nurture and who have the potential to be something. And for them, it's about the work primarily. The money is, you know, a bonus. Oh, that's fantastic. So, and that's very rare that they would, that a management company would want to grow the, the, especially a new management company would want to grow the talent because there's a huge likelihood, especially, well, in the States where as soon as your talent has grown and one of the larger alphabet agencies comes after you, you're like, deuces, thank you so much. This was great. I'm out. And then you go somewhere else. So it's lovely that they've cultivated loyalty, which is very rare. Yeah. Yeah. They have. But also like, I mean, you know, the United Kingdom, Great Britain is the size of one of your smaller states. You know, it is, fair. it is it is different over here. Just a slight, like just slightly, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so like like you know, United States of America is effectively Europe. Like it's massive yeah. geographically, culturally, aesthetically. Like you know, you guys you guys are from like you know major major cities to deserts to rainforests, like and everything in between. So you know, is is you guys are you guys are a continent. It's a completely different landscape. So I understand why you you might need your sort of medium to small agent to get to a certain level and then you know you need the bigger guys to take you to places whereas here the smaller to medium guys the bespoke agencies can do that they can swim with the big guys but your comics are contenders in the u.s i mean you all are you know you're you're going up against the the big guys here i mean so i think it's pretty incredible for the size of your country that you're able to compete comedically and and with programming i mean we steal all of your shows and then bastardize (laughs) them and make a lot of money off of them like everybody forgets the we do but but i think i think you guys are better at it than us now do you think that way but i guess i guess it always depends on your taste as well american stand-up is much better at commentary than british stand-up is do you think that really? Yeah, Dave Chappelle, Sarah Silverman, Bill Burr, all those guys. They're be- Britain is very, very good at observational, whimsical, sort of laughing at ourselves, laughing at each other kind of thing. Whereas, but if you want to do commentary about society, but Americans are where it's at. Ricky Gervais and Eddie Izzard are two of the most prolific, in my opinion, two of the most prolific uh, uh, commentary comics, wouldn't you? Or no? True, true. But Ricky Gervais is very divisive. He is, deliberately so, yes. But then I guess so is Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle, I guess. But but I guess there was still, I, guess, I think Ricky Gervais was very inspired by American comedy, though. Mm, sure. And Eddie, and Eddie Izzard is very, very whimsical with his That's comedy. Fair. It's very, That's fair. It's very, very British. Whereas Ricky Gervais is like, there's a clear American influence mm. on Ricky Gervais' stand-up, I think. Okay, we're going to get out of this section in a second, but I want to know who are your, who are the comics that you love the most? 
I'm putting you on the spot. I mean, the obvious, the obvious stand-up people, you know, Dave Chappelle is an absolute hero of mine. Um, in, the, in Britain, we've got a guy called Stuart Lee, who I love to bits. He's absolutely amazing. Do check out his stuff on YouTube. I think BBC America will probably carry some of his stuff as well, but he's great. But then I also, I'm a massive fan of writers. I get massively influenced by like Trey Parker and Matt Stone, Armando Iannici, who wrote The Thick of It, and also Veep, which you guys will know over there. And you know, the guys who wrote Rick and Morty. Like, I, I remember the first time I watched Rick and Morty, and I just, I couldn't enjoy it. I only enjoyed it the second time I watched it because the first time I watched it, I was too angry. Because I was like, how is, why? Is this so good? How is it, how is it so good? Like, these are human beings. <laughs> these are human beings I've written. I'm a human being. Why can't I, fuck off. Yeah, it's jealousy, I, I, right? I like, I just, fuck off. <laughs> I, was, I couldn't even laugh. Every time I wanted to laugh, I was like, oh, piss off, man. <laughs> I wish I would have thought so of that. Good? That's how awesome. is this so good? It's not even I wish I could thought of it. I, like, I just don't think I'm, like, what they've done, I don't think I'm capable of. You know, when you mm. see some, it's like, I guess the difference between watching a good athlete and the best athlete. Like, you know, there'll be people who will have played with Michael Jordan and just play them going, oh, fuck off. Right. Because why? Why are you? Why is he like this? Why? That's completely unnecessary. What? He's ruining everything. Just come on. Um, I guess that's how I feel about those guys. I'm just like, oh, really, guys? Must you? Come on now. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, the second, the second time I really enjoyed it. And it's like, this is, this is phenomenal stuff. So, yeah, I, got, I get, get very inspired. Like, pretty like, I watched South Park. I watched the whole of South Park at a very particular age, uh, very formative years. And it had a massive influence of me, this idea of like, you know, everyone and no one's a target sort of thing. It's, it's very, very... Which is a brilliant model. If everybody, if they're yeah. going after everybody, then nobody gets to be precious, which is so yeah. perfect for comedy. Yeah, yeah. And also they're just really funny. Yeah, yeah, they are. Just really funny. And just, you know, like I, I'm Muslim, so I hold my religion in a lot of reverence. But there's something about there's something about watching something that holds nothing in reverence. It's quite it's quite um, yeah it's, it's it's quite it's quite something. Have you seen Book of Mormon? I have seen the Book of Mormon, and That's... it was very blasphemous. But despite that, it's just it's one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. Top to bottom. That's because you know, yeah. Christians and Muslims we believe in the same God, right? Correct. So so I'm watching that, and I'm like, this is also my God, but but it just it is brilliant. Yeah, and that's, that says a lot about you that you were able to watch it with a bit of detachment because I think that probably was a hard thing to watch. Yeah, for. I don't think people are objective enough in society. I like, agree. I think people just take, thing too, take, take things too personally. Yes. And I'm like, I'm not, I think people have every right to be offended. Be offended. Great. Maybe write a tweet about it. But <laughs> also, just also. get over it. Like, yes. you, could get, you, could, you could just get over it. You could. You could just choose to. Like that's a that's a choice, right? It's good. <laughs> yeah. There are there are so many things that offend my sensibilities that I just choose to not interact with. I'm like, all right, well, they're doing their thing, and also like audiences are a great barometer of what is generally acceptable. So whilst you might get the odd audience that lets stuff fly, most or maybe I don't know how it is in America, but in Britain, audiences, and I'm talking about like your you know, your blue collar, working class, plumbers, et cetera, et cetera. Like they will not let blatant racism, homophobia, whatever, fly on a stand-up stage. Like they might have an un-PC sense of humor and they like they might let more things fly than an artsy farty liberal, sure. But if you're overtly racist, or like, you know, if a, if a, if a white guy was to come out and just liberally sprinkle his set with the N-word or the P-word or something, it's, the audience would not allow it. The audience would... I've seen it, but I've been heckled with something racist. 
And before I'm able to use my wit to shut it down, the audience have shut that situation down. And I'm talking about like bear pit Friday, Saturday night comedy clubs where you're just where you're fighting for every second of stage time. And the audiences do not have it. So I just think there is something about like if something offends because everything, something will offend everyone. I I I put out a tweet yesterday that said, who called it the Indian variant and not Vinda <laughs> Flu? And obviously most people took it in the in the spirit in which it's intended. But there were people just there going, um, I don't think this is appropriate. Um, 300,000 people have done it. And I'm like, but you don't have to think about that. Like, you, 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 you could just think, maybe he didn't mean this to mock 300,000 people. Maybe that's not what he's doing here. And maybe he's a comic. And like maybe finding that, the humor in things is kind of an important part of surviving all of those things. Oh because Could you imagine these people going on duty with paramedics like, they wouldn't last half an hour because paramedics have the darkest sense of jobs. Yeah, yes, you have yes. to have a dark sense of humor. And if you ever liked paramedics, we our society would demand all of them lose their jobs. Sure, cancel them all. Yeah, because that's, that's who we are becoming. But I just I just think there should be there should be some grace given to comedians. Otherwise, it's just gonna be some watered down shit. And also, they will come for your heroes. Ooh, and they are. They are. Yeah, they will They will come for all of us because mm-hmm. we've all said some stuff, especially when you're working stuff out. Yes. Oh, the stuff I've said at open mic nights. Jesus. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I didn't record my sets because they never got leaked. <laughs> you know, because you, it's a time to experiment and you say stuff and you push stuff and you see what you can. Because also different people can get away with different things. Also true. There are things that Bill Burr can get away with that, you know, someone else wouldn't be able to get away with because he's built, but he's a certain amount of charm, charisma, cheekiness that other comics don't have. There are things that Sarah Silverman can get away with that, that um, what's her name? Um, uh, I, guess, I mean, I guess she isn't getting away with them now because they're coming for her, aren't they? One joke, joke by joke, they are coming for Sarah Silverman. Yeah, they are. But there are things that Sarah Silverman got away with for years that, which I think is unfair, by the way, but there are things that Sarah Silverman got away with for years that, um, oh, what's her name? Eliza Schlesinger, uh, Amy Schumer. Uh, Amy, Schumer. Amy Schumer. That people never let Amy Schumer get away with. Sure. You know, because because people liked Sarah Silverman for slightly different reasons. Mm. Um, so different comics will get away with different things. Black comics will get away with things that the rest of us can't say because, and that is right. That is correct. Does that make you fearful for the future of comedy? No. no a little, I, I guess a little bit, but I also feel like the most skilled comics will find a way to navigate this. And the more skilled comics will build an audience who will protect them, I think. Oof, that's fair. I mean, look at Andrew Look at Andrew Schultz. You know, whatever you might think about him. The guy's an amazing writer. and But there are things that he says on stage that other comics could not get away with. A, because of how he delivers the joke, but also because now he has an army of fans to protect him. So whether or not he gets another Netflix special or whether or not the entire Hollywood machine decide he's too toxic to work with or too raw to work with or whatever the term might be. He's got an army of fans who will protect him so it doesn't really matter. And I guess that's what we're all striving for, right? Is to have our own fan base that we can monetize so that if they do ever decide that our jokes were not really too inappropriate or not, you know, you can't say them anymore, whatever, then we've got our fans who are like, well, we don't care because that's what we loved you for. That's great. That's a really... Yeah, you're making me, I'm I'm trying to keep the pace moving, but I'm so interested and want to ask you a hundred more questions. All right, we have to get out of this section because I have a thousand other things to ask you. Okay, so folks, we hope you enjoyed your apps. We're going to move on to the entrees after a quick break. 
Okay, we are back, and now it is time for the entrees. Okay, Tez, this is the speed round of questions. You can throw in stories if you want. And this is where we find out where, what the day job was that you quit when you were moving into comedy full-time, which is like the dream of any artist to be able to do their thing full-time. So, but we're going to go in order. Okay, what was your first job ever where the government was taking taxes out? Or I don't know how England works. You all probably don't have taxes. You have like queen's fees or whatever the hell it is. But like, <laughs> no, what was your first taxes. job ever? <laughs> My first job ever wasn't taxed because I was it was a paper round. Oh, well, that's customer service though, yeah. so okay. Yeah, so that wasn't taxed. Okay. Um, the first time, I think we don't tax students here. If you're in a full-time study, you don't get taxed. So it's as if they prioritize you being educated over being like financially ruined? That's weird. Yes, but it's weird hearing someone give our government any credit as well. That's making me... <laughs> You want, oh, okay. Stuff. Okay. I'm like, oh, uh, because these, these policies have been, I don't know which government created them. It's not okay. this government. Like, I can tell you that. It's not the current government. Okay. But yeah, students generally, and actually, to be fair, it might have changed for all I know. But when I was working at that age, we didn't get taxed if you were in full time, up, up to full time college education. So if you were working at second, a summer job, a second job, whatever, uh, an evening job or whatever for your studies or whatever, then you, you, that is not taxed, as long as you fill in the tax information properly. Because sometimes you did get taxed and then you could just claim it back because you were like, because you can prove that you were studying. And I want to go back to the whole host of jobs there. Okay. So, but you said your first job was a paper round. Is that what you called it? Yeah. Paper round. Yeah. Does that what mean do call it? paper route? Is that where you throw out newspapers? Oh, is that what we're talking about? Yeah. So we, <laughs> I love seeing that on American TV. Like you guys, like the paper boy, like throwing yeah. newspapers. No, we delivered ours door to door. Oh, you're through so, the letterbox. How proper. <laughs> yeah. That's just so yeah. British. <laughs> we didn't have, we didn't have lawns to throw papers into. Um, <laughs> and even okay. if we did, they'd all get wet and then people would complain. So no, we had to go door to door posting papers. Oh, that takes three times as long. But again, you guys are very yes. small, so you probably had all the time for yeah. it. Okay. So how long did you do that job? Probably six months. Oh, you didn't last very long. No, it was it was um, at 15, I think. Okay. At 15 years of age or, yeah, 14, 15 between. So I was 14 when I started, 15 when I finished. And it's probably, about, yeah, about eight, eight like six to 10 months. somewhere around from. So I started like in autumn, winter and finished in the summer. Why'd you quit? I went for the summer on a family trip to Pakistan to visit family. Oh. My sister was getting married. Wow. And then when I came back, I was in my senior year, my final year of school, and I didn't want the distraction of work. You were a nerd. You I did mean, tell us that. That's right. Yeah, so yeah, school yeah, was important. That's right. Okay. Correct. Um, did you sharpen all your pencils and like get your uniform? Like, was everything very... Oh, my God. You did. I was like okay. double, uh, double underlined everything. Oh. I used different pens. I used different pens for different things. Oh, teachers yeah, was, loved you, I bet. Yeah, I Gross. Was, well, no, because I was also very obnoxious. <laughs> like, I loved learning, but what I loved more than learning was interrupting class. <laughs> so I was so I was that kid. Wait, were you the class clown then? Did they ha- Do they have superlatives yeah, for you? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I, was, I got put on report, which is a thing that naughty kids get put on. <laughs> like, and, and it's rare that a kid gets put on, put on. It's like when the teacher's at the end of their tether. They put a kid in report. And when you're in report, it lasts for two weeks. And every evening, evening, you have to take this form home to your parents. And at every lesson, a teacher has said whether you behaved or not. And then your teacher signs, then your mum signs it at the end of the day. And you do that every day for two weeks. Um, and I got put on that. And it's very rare that it happens. And I got put on it three times in high school over the, over the years. Jesus. Oh and I was in top sets for everything. Like I was in the most advanced classes for everything. So like there was a real juxtaposition between 
like it didn't happen. Like people in top tests weren't put on report. It just wasn't the same. Because they were so busy learning yeah, and being nerds. And you did three times, three times. he's, he's held up his or, fingers. Or they would shut up when they were told to shut up. Like they ah. just, or they learned their lesson when the first time they got in trouble, they'd be like, okay, yeah, if I do that, I get in trouble, right? And I was like, hmm, will I? Mm. <laughs> Personal challenge. Mm. I'm going to do it mm. three times. Okay. How many customer mm. service jobs have you had? That's a good question. God. So the paper round... Okay. JGB Sports, which was a shop, and then a multitude of phone things, like on the phone customers and stuff. Ugh. So a multitude of them. Diff- and, and the shop at university, at college, I worked there. That was fun. So yeah, there's a load of jobs. Okay, can you can so you ballpark jobs. a number? Ten. That's a good round yeah, number. Ten. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now I would throw a comedy in there too, because I think that that's a version of customer service. So I would say that's 11. That's the most important one. Yeah, I would say, because, you yeah. know, your customers determine... Oh yeah, because I've been summer camps and I've, oh. I've been security. Like I've done, I've done <gasps> a lot. Oh, did you yeah, have no, to look at this? I mean, this guy doing security. Come on, <laughs> you're very intimidating. It's the beard. What was it's I the... securing? I have no idea. <laughs> what were you securing? The local festival. That's tough. On my watch, I had the night shift, and I spent four of the night shift reading Lord of the Rings, <laughs> uh, because it was because the following winter the first film was coming out, and I wanted to get ahead of it. <laughs> Because uh, I never read them before. Uh, I, you know, the book's always better than the movie. And yep. I was a nerd. Yeah. Uh, so I read Lord of the Rings. And on my watch, I went into one of the tents and just all night read this book. And I came out and the supervisor was like, hey, have you been doing the, the route? Like, have you been walking around? Like, yes, obviously. <laughs> and he's like, oh, cool. Let's, let's, uh, like six in the morning now. He's like, yeah, let's do one. And he's walking. We're just talking about life and things. We turn on a corner and one of the tents is burnt down. Oh, my God. Like to a crisp, like burnt down. And he just looks at me like, so what's that? And I just thought to myself, oh my this man, this man didn't come into the tent going, oh my God, what have you been doing? A tent's been burned down. He came in. To shame absolutely you. Absolutely played me, yep. marinated me, made me walk half my route, turn a corner and then gone, what's this? Huh? What's, what's happening here? What's this now? And I was like, um... <laughs> yeah, it was it was like the St. John's ambulance, like the first aid tent. Oh. Someone had burnt it down. Oh my god. Uh I later I later found out who did it. And I mean I got obviously immediately fired. Sure. But I later found out it was my regular night shift partner who was off that night had done it. Why? Because he was really because he was really annoyed at the um people organizing it and stuff. I mean that's the place, sort of place I come from. Because he's really annoyed at the people who were running the, the festival. Uh, and he I mean he didn't he didn't realize I'd get sacked, so he's a bit sorry about that. But um, but yeah, that's that's what happened. Wow, I mean, God bless that supervisor who's like, oh, we're we're gonna this is gonna be a long experience of punishment. Oh, like, like, what's what's this? What's this now? What do you think this is? Like, what's going on? I would have just been, been like, like this was standing an hour ago. <laughs> what? That was so fast. <laughs> like, Wasn't it always like this? <laughs> Isn't it meant to be an example for people? <laughs> okay. Oh my God. Um, what was your favorite, and you can't say comedy, what's your favorite job of all of your customer service jobs? Oh, definitely the summer camps. Okay. What'd you do at summer camps? So I did I did a couple of summer camps in Britain, okay. in England, at my university. So one of them was for, it was called Nagati, the National Academy for Gifted and Talented Youth. What are they so doing? Trusting you, you're you're a class clown. Like, how are they? The gifted kids probably loved you. They were like, "This guy's crazy." Oh, they did. I bet they, did. they loved. Yeah, they loved me. So I was very popular in those summer camps, and I think that was a big part of it. Because I was like, because I could get the kids to behave, just because they liked me so much. Because I'd be like, 
come on. And they'd be like, all right. <laughs> it was very much a sort of, because mm, you're asking me, okay. I'll do it. Very much, yeah, yeah. That sort of, that sort of relationship. They'd be like, Tess, could you just come and get the, I'd be like, Nick, what is, come on now. And he's like, oh, I just right. don't like you. And I'm like, but for me, come on. And then he'd be like, no, okay then. <laughs> um, so I really, I really enjoyed those jobs. And <laughs> one time, I didn't make a girl cry back, she didn't know. So one time, so I, I, really enjoyed having dinner with the kids. So everyone else, the other counsellors always had dinner with each other. I liked having dinner with the kids. And um, there was one time I was with this group of kids that I'd been looking after all day. And this girl sat next to me. She must have been no older than 14. And she'd got her dessert. She'd got like her dinner. She put it down and she looked away. And she had a gingerbread man on her on her tray. And I picked up, I bit his head off and put it back. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's funny. It's funny. It's a what funny thing mean? to do. It's funny. Right. She, she turned around and started crying. Good. I hope you felt that poor no. thing. What do you mean? Good. Why? I just go and get another one. Why are you crying? But the kids, the kids were so scared they'd get in trouble. One of them, one of them owned up to it. Get out of here. You taught those children yeah. how to lie for each other and not snitch. What fantastic yeah. lessons. Because the kids were like, he's a grown-ass man. <laughs> he would never. Who should know better. <laughs> he should not have done this. That's why they're gifted. Yeah. And as a mature, gifted youth, <laughs> I will... I will take this, you know, I will take the hit I'll point. take this bullet. Oh, my God. And at no point was I like, oh, don't, you don't have to do that. I was like, <laughs> I was yes. just going to ask you that. Yes. You're like, you yes, Thomas, you should absolutely. That's a really good idea. <laughs> oh, God. That's why you're my favorite. <laughs> this is a life lesson. Oh. That's why I did it. I'm trying to teach you how to take up for one another. We, we taught those kids a lot of resilience. I, I, was bet. On, I was on it with my best mate. And that was a bad idea. <laughs> of course. And, um, <laughs> Like we just, we just, we just gave the kids awful nicknames. There's one girl who was blind in one eye, and we called her Blinky, just because, like, but she loved it. I think she was so used to people tiptoeing around her entire life. Sure, she sure. was like, I just loved. She just really enjoyed it. She felt like she was one of the gang, and like she just loved that people called her Blinky. <laughs> I mean, I think it's it's bringing them into the fold and not treating them as precious. Them, wow, right. here, I'm amazing. I, I do it the same way when I'm on stage and if I'm interacting with the audience and I see a member of the audience who's disabled, I don't think to myself, well, I'm not going to talk to that person. Because, they can't you know, handle because it. Of, yeah. yeah, because I'm like, no, if, if I'm going to talk to that person and if, and if they're a dick, I'm going to roast them. Like, you 100%. Know, I've, I, was, I remember once I was, I mean, this is the worst thing I've ever said on stage, but I was talking to, I was at a gig and the guy was in a wheelchair. I asked him what he does. He said he was a priest. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so have you not prayed to get better? And, you know, <laughs> It was just, oh it was just God. fun for everyone. It was we all had a good time. Oh my God! We all we all had a good time. Do you know, I mean, it I'm was crying. nice. I'm crying. What did he say when you said that? He was just like, "That's not how it works." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, how does it work? Because Jesus turned water into wine. Can he give you legs? I don't understand." Well, you know, I was like, "I was like, I, I like, I know." <laughs> Sorry. I you weren't that sorry you just repeated it yeah, I oh okay I so i want to go so real quick so you 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 were camp counselor for a minute but when you said um shit i wrote well, it down. i actually did it in new york by the way i was i was a camp counselor i came to camp america oh you did so i was in i was in i was in i was a camp counselor in a summer camp in upstate new york in bear mountain and oh, it was a rough ass camp for kids from Harlem, the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, even the black Latino kids. 
And so everyone who was working on the camp were also from those areas. So suddenly I was, you know, coming from England, I was suddenly with people who were in the crypts and all that sort of, and I was like, oh, this is, this is I feel like I'm in a film. That was pretty cool. And on that one, like I struggled to get up in the mornings and there's one morning I slept in and missed the, the call for the kids and that. And it was like the second or third time it happened, over like a few weeks, the second or third time it happened. And the camp counsellor, who didn't really like me much, she, the camp like leader, like the head of the camp, she wanted to fire me. And then the, like it was a meeting with her, the camp leader, and then all of the heads of the different little bits. So the house heads and the head of the swimming or whatever. And um, she just said to me that she had to let me go. And I was like, like gutted because like my flight is not for another two weeks so like i've got like what we're gonna do and then heather who is scottish who was who'd been on the summer camp for a couple of years so she's very well respected she <laughs> without any consultation with me she said sandy you should be aware that if if tez is let go eight counselors are prepared to walk out was that true no way that was true i don't think it was but she, <laughs> she just called her bluff though and um she was like, yeah, they're prepared to walk out. They just like he's too well, he's too popular, and uh, and she was like, she she got she just got put into a bind, uh, and so got a move from my from my normal camp to the day camp. The people, the kids who came in at eleven and left at four, so I got I got moved. <laughs> you got to, to sleep, so it worked out better for you. Then the title of your next book needs to be like "People Take Up for Me," and it keeps saving my ass. <laughs> like it just <laughs> that's the next thing you have to discuss. Because so many people have taken up for you. <laughs> like, holy shit. It just, it was, I was like, I was just sitting there going. Amazing. You just kept, you're very smart though. You you know, like you might be a class clown, but you're also well, like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm just going to. know when to keep my mouth shut. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, a skill yeah, in yeah. and of itself. Also, there were so many things. I mean, I deserve to be sacked. From that <laughs> of course you like, did. <laughs> there, was, there was a camp across the lake from us that we called Fun Camp because they had like those balloons in the water, the obstacle things oh, in the water. That's awesome. So we called that, we called them Fun Camp. So one night when we had a curfew, me and my fellow friends, you know, the adults, that is, we, we sneaked round the lake to that mountain and just... No, you, you did know. not. He's making yeah. a gesture as if he had like a sharp object in his hand and then just went towards those inflated, Inflate, inflatables. fun, inflatables that were, for the, that were for the kids. He went and popped the things for the kids, just to be clear. Go ahead. So you did that. And then what? Went back to the camp and pretended like nothing happened? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, we went to a, bear in mind, we were in curfew. So we went to a bar before that called Legends. And they had merchandise that had Legends on it. So we bought that first. And, and then did the thing that I just described. Mm-hmm. We also ruined a couple of fire circles there. But, you know, it looked like a really fun camp. Sure. Not that I could see much of it in the dark. <laughs> but regardless, that's what we did. Sure. And then we came back and went to breakfast in the morning wearing Legends t-shirts. And people were like, where have you been? And we're like, just. Right here. At this particular bar, mm, that was it. Right That's now. all we did. We Absolutely. definitely didn't go over there. At one point, we locked the um, the head of each camp thing. So there was like a, the small kids, the middle kids, the senior kids, and the ones older than them. So like each one had like a head, and they slept in one place. And we locked them in, like we padlocked the outside, and then threw the keys into the lake. You? That's not true. You absolutely did. Yeah, didn't. because it was like because like, I was like. Because at some point, where was it? There were like three of us, four of us waiting on this. One of them locked himself in because he was going out with one of the girls who was the head. So he locked himself in. So we had someone, so we had a man on the inside. So he could do that. So he could like, you know, make, throw the scent of us, throw the scent off us from the inside. And bear in mind, it's like, it's like one big 
round box with like a like a like a center so like each person had a room but they could all talk to each other like a like a prison cell and so we locked it from the outside and then threw the keys into the lake like that way you cannot prove it was us no one can run up to it then no one can say oh it was us. it was so no one can say oh i've got the i've got the keys in my under my pillow or whatever it's like None of we're all in this now. None of us can own up to it. If you were to get bored with comedy, I just want to say like either organized crime or politics, which are kissing cousins. I feel like you would do well in both of those lanes as well because you get big picture and you have men on the inside. Like this is some organized crime yeah, shit. Yeah. It was it was very yeah. I mean they ended up getting married. Which is nice. <laughs> Molly Mo- Molly and Aaron. That was nice. Did you go to the wedding? Um, I did. Uh. That was the second time I've been to New York is in 2011. That's how I know Rochester because that's where the world is. Okay. Otherwise, how else would I know that name? Yeah, I mean, the, the reason why my tour show in the winter is called Populist is because a lot of people tell me that I should run for politics and I wanted to write a show about why that is a really bad idea. Mm. Good. Well, you're going to speak to it. Don't answer it here. Unsuited to it. Okay, well, watch watch the special that he's in the middle of writing, folks, if, to answer yeah. that question. Okay, what was your least favorite of all of your customer service jobs? All of the ones on the phone. Like, I, I had this one job where we had to, like, when you're cold calling people to sell them things. <sighs> oh, Ugh. that's ugly. That's, it's that's wicked. Nice. It's wicked. So I was, like, ringing people up trying to sell them timeshares in holiday homes abroad. Is that true? Is that real? Yeah. Oh, I have a and movie. I'm like, I don't, be- I don't, I don't believe in this. Yeah. I didn't sell a single... I think I worked there for two weeks. I didn't sell a single thing. I ended up getting... Oh, there was one time where I rang up someone called William Wallace. And and that was interesting. Cause, you know, because he's you, Scottish you know, and you're also Scottish. And it's like Scottish yeah, that, roots. Yeah. And there's a yeah. lot... Mm-hmm. And that was when he was like, oh, yeah, I'm not interested. And I'm like, oh, but you can take my timeshare, but you'll never take, <laughs> take my freedom. My freedom. And, then, and then he went, really? And I went, yeah. And then he hung up. So. <laughs> really and you just say yeah yeah i, I said yeah, it yeah, that's, it has just happened um bear in mind i've called him sure sure mm-hmm. it's not like he's called me and i've right. gone, isn't william wallace a wonderful name <laughs> he's called me i mean i've called him and then i've been cheeky on top of that yeah that's that's that seems to be your approach to a lot of things <laughs> like yeah, earned yeah, cheekiness yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. okay um i got I, I left that well i got sacked from that job because I want there was one evening I couldn't be asked going in and I rang <laughs> wait in and wait I want to translate that I couldn't be asked is one of my favorite British favorite British isms that exist it's like he doesn't can't be bothered we would say like fuck off I don't want to do it can't be asked is such a beautiful anyway sorry so you you didn't want to yeah, go to work so keep going sorry yeah so I couldn't be asked to go to work so <laughs> I, I I rang up and this was like 2002 ish and I said that I had SARS Tez. So SARS had just broken out at that time. <laughs> it was like it was like the coronavirus of 2002. It was bad. I was really worried about it. It was really bad. So I told him that I had SARS. And Tez. the woman, like the supervisor, was like, ah. And I was like, yeah. <coughs> I, can't, I can't come in. Oh my God. And then she was like, okay. And then the next day I went in. <laughs> you couldn't have like, gone in. If you had SARS, you would have been. <laughs> That's so well, terrible. Well, you don't know my immune system in my defense. And so I went in and she said, oh, I thought you had SARS. And I went, well, yeah, so did I. <laughs> oh, my God. But I don't. Oh, and so she sent me home. And then I came in the next day and she said, I, when I sent you home, you were sacked. Like, <laughs> that was a wrap. Like, that was like, it. Don't, don't ever come back in. And I was like, oh, okay. Cool. Just, Glad we got that cleared up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I am SARS. Oh my God. Wait, how did you get roped into to phone jobs? Just needed, like, like this sort of vacancy. Like, I can't remember where I saw uh-huh. them, mm-hmm. but I just needed, like, just different jobs and stuff. Like, and okay. Different vacancies in different places, yeah. What's the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst on the clock? Oh, God. I mean, there was one, there was one time when, when I was doing one of the security jobs. This is separate to the one where the thing burned down. This is in, in, in another town. <laughs> Were you like allowed the tent to burn down? Let's get real clear. Yeah, the sure. thing burned down. On my down. watch. On my, you know yes. what I mean? Like, not on my watch. Yeah. I'm like, 100% on, watch. on your watch. <laughs> on my watch. Um, so there, was, there was a time when I was doing like uh, security jobs in another town. This is like, like the age of 18, 19. And, I don't, and I'm, I'm quite small now, but I was a weedy 18 year old. Oh. What they were doing giving me a job, I don't know. But regardless, I think it just needed the numbers. Yeah. Um, and because, you know, because I was not white, maybe that made me automatically intimidated. You're very I'm scary. Sure. You're very scary. Yeah, yes. maybe. Mm-hmm. So so I ended up being in this, you know, the pit between the stage and the audience. Sure. I ended up going in there. And I'd never done that before. I'd never experienced it before. And so watching girls throw themselves hysterically at these people on stage that I do not respect. Wait, who was on stage? Are you able to tell us? Oh, it was like Gareth... Gareth they were like, they're like pop fact. So before X Factor, there was like pop idol. Oh, got it, you know, got all it. American Idol, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But not the winners. <laughs> you know These what is, I mean? This is the runoff. So like, okay. Yeah, you know, like people, and then, and then other fairly mediocre pop groups in the UK. Okay. So it was like, it was like a decent, like for kids, it's very exciting. But got for it. me, they were like, they were doing nothing for me. So I'm watching these girls get, and I've never seen it before. You know, that sort of Beatlemania. That's sort of like, ah, but I'd never seen it before because my sisters just weren't that type. So, I'd never seen it before and I, co- I couldn't stop laughing. I was like, oh my God, this is really funny. And then I was like, oh no, I think she can't breathe. And then we'd like kind of dragging girls out of like the front. No one died. It was fine. Oh, okay. but you know when <laughs> someone's too hysterical and they're like, maybe they were fine, but they looked like in trouble to me. Sure. I, anyway, so like we ended up dragging people out of them into the pit where they had, where they had space and stuff. And there was one time where one of the pop artists, he left and we got to talking like to some of the girls at the front. And bear in mind, I'm like 17, 18. It's like, you know, when people are chatting you about that age, you've got a uniform on, you feel a bit like, mm. yeah, I'm and good. one of the girls said, oh, so do you talk to him backstage? And I'm like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> for hours. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's waiting for us now. <laughs> and, and she gave me a poster. And she's like, do you think you can get him to sign this? Tez, if you say what I think you're going to say, I'm going to be so mad. I'm going to be so and mad. I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, but I can't, I can't do it for free. <laughs> you son of a, so, Keep going, so, finish. You know, I, I got a 10, I got a 10 rougher or something. And then I went backstage to find yep, him. Uh-huh. I, I couldn't find you him. You didn't try. You didn't try. You do not know that. <laughs> You're smiling. I do know that. Keep going. <laughs> um, I couldn't find this particular pop star. Gareth Gates was his name. Gareth Gosh. Gates. Uh, and so I came, so I found a pen and signed it. That's what I thought you were going to say. The money was a surprise. I didn't know it was going that that low. So you were going to charge her for your signature. I would not have predicted. Go ahead. I would argue that I'm now more famous than Gareth Gates is. You know what? That's probably true. But at the time, this little... At the time, I was a fucking nobody. (laughs) You were a scrawny 18-year-old pulling bodies out of a... Yeah, okay. So did you find her again and give it back to her? Did she at least have the poster? Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, she got the poster. She was... Honestly, she's so happy. She was chuffed, as you all like to say. Yeah, she was chuffed. Bad chuff, mate. <laughs> Wait, was okay. That's up there. Was that the, that was the weirdest thing you've been asked to do? Is to fake yeah, like a celebrity standing, standing in that pit and okay. just 
watching and pulling people out who are too hysterical. Okay. I think in customer service, that's the weirdest thing I've done. That's pretty weird. Um, Now, you might have a lot of answers to this. What's an incident that would make any of these customers ask to speak with your manager? So when I was working, before I came to Camp America and before I went off to do my interesting day job in London, I got myself a call center job in Blackburn for British Telecom. So that's like, you sit there and people who've got problems with their phones and stuff, they, you know your house, your landline, oh. who's your landline provider? Uh, well, the Comcast like AT, like Yeah, AT&T. AT&T. And stuff like that. Like, yeah, 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 so like for them. Eventually I was working for the British Telecom. Okay. And so people ring in with their problems, my line, my line's not working, blah, 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 all that stuff. Which is ironic because they're on the phone to call you and tell you that. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or, or, or the bill's too high, you know, n- numerous things. Sure. Um, my, my bill doesn't seem right, et cetera, et cetera. Or where's my internet, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I figured out a cheat. This is shocking. This is so off-brand for you. So, wow. So the second someone connected to me from being on hold, the, like the second, like it's, like it's seamless, I put them back on hold. So they don't know they've been connected. They're on hold, just through to me, back on hold again. So as far as they're like, oh, 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 no, I'm, I'm still on hold. I then dial them back into the system and so when the next person answers the call, one of my colleagues, mm-hmm. <laughs> I then let him Take deal it. with the customer while I'm, and neither of them know I'm on the line. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, okay, I want to get real clear. You can hear this, the same call that they, because you picked it up, you are connected. Yeah. yeah. And I, I dial them back into the system. Tez, this, I can already see where this is going. Okay, go ahead. So you're, you're. I, 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 I dial them back into the system. So they don't know they've been. They don't know someone's answered the phone already. Oh and God. then the person who have dialed them back into the system and they pick it up, they don't know that someone else is on the call. So then they, you know, he did they deal with the call. Oh my God. Great. My favorite is when because you know it's a it's a it's 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 random who picks the phone up next. Sure. And when the call center is in India, that's the funniest. Because you can hear the frustration in the customer's voice. Oh. And I'm like, oh, you could have had me, but now you're now you're with David from India, and, and so that was always. Really wait, wait, wait. Um, see where I thought this was going was. Then would you like make commentary on the line because you could hear? No. Oh, see, no, I thought that that's where you were too, going. That would be way. That would be way too much. Yeah. But but I can't. But when the customer, but <laughs> when the when the person now dealing with that call goes away to handle the query, I can still hear the customer. So when the customer's talking shit, whatever, I, yeah, I can hear all of that. Um, and that's really funny. Yeah. If they say like uh, terrible racist shit, I would have, see, I would have jumped in yeah. and been like, you know, people can um, still hear you. And so we had to average, I think it was like, you had to average like four minutes per call. So after four minutes were up, I would just take myself off the call. <sighs> this is the problem with hiring smart people, the workarounds. Like so it was <laughs> the perfect crime. Yeah. I had the, I had the most, I had the, the best stats. I'll bet. On point. Because I was like, and then I would just spend my days surfing the web, doing whatever, fantasizing about blah, 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 <laughs> applying for Camp America, things like that. Wait, but that was... I ended, so, up, getting, I ended up getting caught eventually how? because someone listened in, as in a supervisor listened in. You know, when they like listen to your calls yep. to make you do a yep, good job. Yep. They listened in for like a half hour period and they were like, hey, you took no calls during this half hour period. So they suspended me with pay, ideal. Um, <laughs> the perfect it's crime. A you, it's a job you don't want to be in. Yes. Um, so I eventually came back two weeks later for an interview 
and they were like, yeah, can you explain this? And so I had, I had, a, I had a union rep in with me. And I think what I said was, are you ready? No, I'm not. Go. What is it? What I said was, oh. <laughs> if you say SARS, I'm, I'm ending the podcast. I just found out that morning. Tez, nobody's dead. Nobody's dead. That my girlfriend's pregnant. Ooh, worse. <laughs> oh, and, you know, in my culture. Tez. <laughs> you know, you just. You're so ruined. Stressful. You're just ruined. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have to finish the rest of the sentence. I'm like, because you know, in my culture. Oh, you then, asshole. And then, just, <laughs> and then it's just a, and then it's just a dot, dot, Crickets. dot. And the union person with me was like, oh my God, that is, so, come on, what do you need? What do you need? <laughs> you and I could asshole. see like the BT person opposite going, I do not buy this story <laughs> at all. But I can't prove that you're lying. 100%. So the compromise we came to, remember I was leaving that summer to go on the summer camp anyway. So the compromise we came to was, they would pay me for the next six weeks up until I go to the summer camp, but just don't come in anymore. Tez. And I was like, and then I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't get to answer sure? calls. Oh, <laughs> dang it. I'm going to miss everyone. <laughs> and then, I'm uh, so sad. <laughs> and then that was that. Ooh, you get away with it a lot. I'm starting to really dislike you. Okay. So did they. I so sucked. <laughs> You poor baby with pay, with pay for eight with weeks pay. where you didn't have to yeah. work and you, then you got to go to camp yeah. and break toys. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. what is one or what's the last straw that when you, so maybe it wasn't as dramatic as someone's pregnant, dead, or you have SARS, but what was the last straw that got you out of customer service when you were like, okay, now comedy full time or just a last straw where you quit a job, not where you were fired. Cause you're getting sacked a lot. Oh, you know, like, you don't know about my day job when I was doing comedy. I had a proper career. I was a civil servant. I was working for the home office, like the equivalent of the Department for Homeland Affairs. Oh, wow. Like I was, yeah, I was doing- You were corporate. You were like for real, for real. Yeah. Like one time I got stopped. The second time I went to the States, I got stopped at the airport as my people do. What? A Muslim you know? got stopped at the airport? It yeah, was probably stopped, random, Tez. And, and the, yeah, yeah, absolutely random. <laughs> and I got called to the desk. The man was like, oh, what do you do? And I very smugly said, um, I work for the equivalent of the Department for Homeland Affairs and Counterterrorism in the UK. <laughs> and he went, oh. So you put your dick on the table and, was, and you were like, and yeah, good night. Yeah, I went, and then <laughs> yeah. there you go. And he went, oh, well, okay, you go ahead. Off you and go. I was out. Record, record time. I bet. Huh. So I was doing. I was doing that. I had to organize the Olympics. Like, do you remember the 2012 London Olympics? Fun. Yes. Do you remember? Do you remember when no one got blown up? That was because of you. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was me. That's amazing. Yeah, that. Okay, so you quit, and yeah. you were like, "Fuck this country. Doesn't need to be safe. It needs to laugh." Yeah. Well, I quit because well, well, I, I was in a job in um, human trafficking, anti-human, not pro, anti-human, uh, not pro. Yeah, yeah. So anti-human trafficking policy. So we were like, we write the laws that the agencies then implement, you know, mm -hmm. implement. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. great. That's the word. Mm -hmm. Implement. Yeah. Uh, which is a great job. I loved it. It was, it was good. Did it you? was a part of the government that felt like we were doing something well. Because like also, you know, like every single policy you can create has a like the opposite lobby. Whereas there's, there is there is no pro-slavery lobby. So there's no sort of like, oh, there's only like, are we doing enough? rather than we shouldn't be doing this. Oof, that's good um, to hear. 
And it was also because it was like so obviously black and white bad, it was one thing that the conservatives could always be like, oh, we're stopping this so they could look human. Ah. <laughs> they could be like, see, we're stopping human trafficking. Like, that's how low the bar is. Sure. Like, but we, we're stopping human trafficking. And then was like, you're fucking supposed to stop human trafficking. <laughs> Kids shouldn't don't be in yourself, sex slavery. Yeah. Don't pat you, yourselves in the back for that. But anyway, so that was that was a great job to be in. And then, but that was a time where like, I kind of, the, the, the conservatives got, like the equivalent of your Republican party got voted back in. And then that kind of like, just my motivation completely left. And I was like, I need to get out and do, and comedy was doing well, but I just needed to like earn, be earning enough money so I could leave my day job full time. And it was a lovely coincidence, but I, I made I made a short comedy for the BBC called The Go Home Office, where my character, who's a civil servant, and the civil servants in Britain have to be non-apolitical. They can't have a political voice. And so you, you work for the government of the time. So if the government changes, you stay in your job. You just you just do whatever policy the government wants you to do. That's oh, that the job would be of the civil servant. Hard. Yeah. So in this fake fictitious scenario, like a far right government came in and they renamed the home office, the go home office. (laughs) Uh, And so and so on this particular episode, uh, another brilliant British comedian called Nish Kumar came in to see me and he had to justify why all South Asians were allowed to remain in the UK. All of them? Every single one of them? Yeah, all of them. He thought he came in about himself and his family. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Why do you lot? <laughs> the whole of you. you <laughs> yeah. Um, and with no sense of irony about myself, because I was just doing my job. Of course. And and so I was in the end of this little sketch thing. I'm not happy with his answers and end up deporting everyone. All South um, Asians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, no sense, with no sense of irony. Sure, right. Uh, and and uh, so that's how it ends. And then, um, <laughs> and then the home office found that. Like two, three months later, they were like, what is... What is this? And I'm like, um, is it because is it that it's not funny? Because <laughs> like, I need notes. Is, I'll take notes. <laughs> what, what is the issue with the piece? Um, and they're like, no, this is bringing the department into disrepute. Like, this is a conflict of interest. This is, yeah, you're under investigation, pal. And I'm like, shall I just, can I just quit? And they're like, 100% yes, please leave. And, and so that's how I left the home office. I did a 10 stretch. I did, a, I did 10 years. That's a long time. For Her Majesty's government. Now and I didn't even get I didn't even get a card. Well, that's a bummer. She didn't. She was busy yeah. though. You know, busy. Not from the Queen, but from my oh. team. Oh, well. Like a, a goodbye card where everyone signs. I didn't even get one of them. But you know what though? Had they done that? Had they thrown you a goodbye Tez party? Then they may have all come under investigation of like, well, did you guys make yeah. videos too? You know, yeah, so it's, working for the government is tricky and not in a fun way. Yeah. So you, you get out and then you're like, but it happened to coincide with the time where your income was enough or was that when you were like, well, I can move yeah, out of London? just coincidentally, okay. I got a really good job at that point ah. that I was like, great, if I leave London, this is going to work out. Because this was before. This is, the, this is the end of 2016 now. So, and Man Like Mobeen didn't come out until 2018, right? Seven? Yeah, 2017. Uh, yeah, you I shot in 17? In in okay. Yeah, it came out in 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we are eventually going to get to talking about that because I love that show. Okay. Have you ever told a customer to fuck off in your cleverly branded, they didn't know they were being told to fuck off kind of way, but you... Yeah, not in so many words, but I guess I guess the way that I kind of put them back in the system and fobbed them off to other people. I'm glad you see that as that because that's 100% what that, that is. Mm-hmm. That was me telling them to fuck off. Correct. Because the first time it happened was just me being really fed up with the customer, finding I couldn't work out how to do their thing. Sure. So I just put them back in the system. And then I was like, oh shit, that worked. <laughs> what? 
That's what damn. <laughs> Holy shit. That works. New business model. And so, and so I was like, this is what I'm doing from now on. And I did it for three months. Three months I did that for. For shame that they didn't catch you prior to then because it means they weren't Honestly. paying that much attention. So it's really their fault. Again, as with all it's, things. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. How many bodily fluids have been on your person whilst you were on the clock? What did you mean? Well, mostly like this is a bartender question because people I've been barfed oh. on so many times, but you worked at a summer camp. So I would assume kids probably threw up on you, right? Or they were gifted. So maybe the gifted kids don't barf. I don't yeah, know. No, they were kind of of an age where they knew how to use the toilet bathrooms and all that. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. And all that sort of stuff. Okay. I've never done it. I've never done it. I've never done catering or food service. You're lucky. So I was, I've done a lot of jobs, but I've never done that. And I don't drink. So I've never done bar work. So that's the one job I've never done. So I've, I've avoided that. Can I ask, and you don't have to answer this, would you, would it feel like a moral conflict if you were to serve alcohol? Not if I was like, if I was a waiter. It would not. It, I would be like, fine, it's part of the job. If, I, if I'm working at like Tesco, like if I'm working at the department store and people are coming to get their groceries and part of their groceries is alcohol, f- fine. But I'm not going to work in a bar. That's very cool. And I didn't know that. Okay. Do you tip? And this is interesting to ask um, someone in the UK. I mean, we're British, so we don't really have a tipping culture like you do in the States. But I do tip now. I don't tip everything. Like, I don't, I generally don't tip cab drivers or Uber, but I tip when I'm eating, unless the service has been horrendous. And what's like an average tip for you then if you're going to tip in a food service setting? 10% down here. That seems right. 10%. Okay. Well, (laughs) the next question is, were you ever fired? Gee, Tez, I, I don't, I don't know. You haven't answered that. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Who was the, give me an example of the worst customer you've had to interact with or like an archetype. If you can't think of an incident, then just like a oh, general. When, when I was doing like the civil, when I was doing the phone job for BT, the British telecom, there are just so many stupid customers. Like one guy, one guy rang in once and he was like, oh, I've been overcharged for my bill. And I was like, all right, let's have a look at it. And he's like, look, I've got, I've got a weekend's plan, which means that my weekend calls are free. So why am I being charged for my weekend calls? And I'm like, fair enough, you shouldn't be. Let's have a look at this. And he's like, look, look here, 14th of March, why have I been charged for that call? And I was like, all right, fair enough, let's have a look at that. And then he kind of talking, he's like, yeah. And then, and then the 22nd of March, and, this, and I was like, bro, that's a Tuesday. He's like, what? I'm like, right, 14th of March was a Tuesday. What? I was like, yeah, if you look on the calendar, for, that's a Tuesday you're complaining about. <laughs> and then it gave me a few more days and I'm like, yeah, that was a Thursday night. <laughs> what are you looking at? Why didn't you go to the calendar first before you called us, bro? Unless you were looking, looking at a different year or a different month or something. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm just like, what? Like, what dickhead? <laughs> Why are you wasting my time? <laughs> Much like William Wallace, just wasting your time. Yeah. So people that sort of wasted your time, that would be the archetype of a worst yeah. customer. Okay. You know what's really bad now, though? I get so infuriated. <laughs> Ironically, I get so infuriated with poor customer service. Well, because you've worked in and it, I'm though. Like, but I'm like, but I was so bad. <laughs> I was really bad. This is, a, this is my comeuppance. This is my karma. Yeah. I get so angry. When you were like, wow, who are you angry at? I'm obviously, I'm projecting. <laughs> yeah, that's your real-time karma. That's pretty impressive. Okay, well, now we're going to move on to the good stuff. We hoped you saved room for dessert. What was the nicest thing that a customer, or in this case, maybe a camper, has done for you whilst you're working? I mean, the kids were, the kids were always very nice. And like, they'd always leave, make me like nice cards at the end. Aww. 
um, and things like that, which is always very nice. Cards um, are a big thing for you. When if you so folks, if you want to be friends with Tez, yeah, he really likes cards. Send, me a, like, send him a nice card message. So the kids, the kids are always really nice and stuff. And like you know, they'd cover for at that time. That kid covered for me. That was really nice. <laughs> you mean saved your like, job I, I, by lying? Yeah, like like I, like I would let the kids have a lot of fun, and I would let them get with, with a lot. So then they like reciprocally they covered for me because then you they're not going to get thrown off the camp. No, they paid. Like, the kids are not going to get thrown off the camp for eating another kid's gingerbread head. <laughs> But I might get in trouble for that. Have, yeah. yeah, I might get in trouble for that. Sure. But, you know, there was a, I instilled this the street smarts in them, and and it paid off for me. They were like my um, what what have you seen Game of Thrones? Uh, ish, like a couple episodes. I know, it makes me a bad person. I know oh, you won't know that. But they were like my you know my street kids. They were like my urchins. You know my sure. um, my, my little sparrows. Sure. <laughs> Just, you know, your crows dropping just, messages just, 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 looking out, just looking out for me how lovely you created a gang that's great uh, you yeah. learned a lot from that kid Oliver Twist mm. <laughs> was once, I, I was the nicest thing I ever did for someone wasn't going to ask this when I was looking at the university shop mm-hmm. we had a DVD rental section mm-hmm. and you know some ki- some friends just never returned their DVDs and I would wipe their fines because they couldn't graduate if they owed money to the school. So I would wipe their fines. And some kids had like hundreds of pounds of fines and I would wipe them clean. You are a hero, Tez. It just buck- Fucking Robin Hood over here. Yeah, get your cape because you're bucking the system and saving your buddies. Like you're a yeah. good, per- you're an inside man, but like I bet don't ever cross you though. I bet like you're also clever oh. enough to ruin people. Not that you would, but you're probably able to. No, I wouldn't. No, generally if people, it's, are stiff companies, but not people. I, I could see that. You are Robin Hood. Truly, that is Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah, whole yeah, model. Yeah. Okay. Wouldn't stiff people, but stiff companies for sure. What's an example of the best customer that you could think of? Like a customer you interacted with maybe that was really grateful or was, you know, I, I mean, I know you said the kids gave you cards. That would be like the nicest thing they've done. But like something or an, an example of like an archetype of a good customer interaction. If you could carve one from stone and say, this is perfect top to bottom. You know, when a customer rings up or comes into a shop and they know what they want, they are clear. I want these pair of shoes in a size eight. Would you mind if I tried them on? Of course not. And then the shoes are there in stock. So, you know, everyone's doing their job. Sure. The customer's doing their job and doing their job. The store's doing their job. I come out, they try the trainers on. I want these trainers. Great. Would you like some accessories with it, like polish or whatever? No, I'm okay, thank you. Not a problem. Let me put this behind the till. You carry on shopping. Great. And then they tell the manager on the way out, that guy working on that shoe department, good lad. And you're like, thank you. That's in and out. No one's getting too familiar. No one's being overly nice. You know, everyone's just doing their job. Do you look at people side-eyed that are too nice? When people get too familiar. I had a waiter the other day. I, was, I had a family dinner. We were eating out. And this waiter was getting too familiar and like overly making jokes. And one, it's upsetting because I haven't been on stage for a year. (laughs) How dare he have a platform? (laughs) Don't make jokes, mate. This is very, this is, this is triggering right now. Okay. You snowflake. You've got a platform. You've got a platform to do this and I don't. Get the fuck, get the fuck out of here. Um, Very New York of you. Just get a bit too familiar. Like he was in trouble. Like if, if there's no conversation happening, and you're a waiter and you spot that and you're like, oh, let me sprinkle a bit of my magic charisma into this situation. Fine. But if people are enjoying themselves and having a conversation, why are you interrupting with your chat? Now, was he interrupting to do bits or was he interrupting to see if you wanted more water? Bits. Oh, yeah, then that's annoying. Gross. Like he'd be like, oh, what's your name? Oh, oh, I'll give you, I'll give you a free whatever if you tell your 
your brother here that he needs a haircut. The brother was bald. If your brother needs a haircut. And I'm like, what are you? Well, they're hacky bits. These aren't even good bits. Yeah. That's hacky. Hacky bits. Yeah. So I'm like, it's his, plus it was the bald guy's birthday. Aww. Like, he, doesn't, he doesn't need that. No, don't shame him for his situation. That's, that's, well, did your brother roll with it? My, my, my cousins. Who was your cousins? Um, no, he didn't roll with it. He didn't roll with it. <laughs> he wasn't having it. Okay. Well, this like, is. Good. I was like, it's unnecessary. Why are you getting too familiar? Like, we're not your mates. Okay, so so you like the balance of like just ease in, ease out. Okay, so that would be the best yeah, customer. Professional, professional, and polite. If you're charming, it's a bonus. Okay, um, what is the best lesson that you have personally learned from the various customer service jobs that you've had? Uh, the customer is not always right. Come on, come on. Because sometimes the customer A might be a piece of shit, or B might be a fucking idiot, or C just might not be very nice, and it's not my fucking store. What do I care? If that guy's never going to shop at JJB Sports again, <laughs> fucking I don't care. <laughs> what do I care? We've got the worst selection of trainers anyway. <laughs> Are you a sneakerhead? Uh, a little bit. A yeah. little bit. Yeah. I was more so than I was then. Well, you probably you have to have um, money to be a sneakerhead, really, if we're all being honest. Yeah, exactly. 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 Okay. I think like once you get on, I, want, I think once you earn a set of, I think every time you climb up like uh, like you know money the money ladder mm -hmm. like a whole area of Instagram automatically opens up to you that you weren't aware of like on your discovery page suddenly you're like oh kitchens huh. <laughs> wow uh, kitchens are nice look at this kitchen again I wasn't, I wasn't seeing those posts when I was poor <laughs> they were just showing me discount coupons to fast food right. now I'm seeing I was like. What patios? Damn. <laughs> I'm going to remodel a, a house? I can own a house. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. What's one piece of advice that you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers? You are always right. <laughs> Des. <laughs> Do not take shit from these people. This is conflict. These people are okay. fucking beneath you. All right. All right. <laughs> Why would they be in this job if they had their shit together? You I fucking let them know this. <laughs> Your brand yeah. is is conflicted. Okay, great. No, that's really that's really good, and that marries what you've said earlier. Good. Mm. Well, how can people get in touch with you, Tez? How can they buy the secret diary of a British Muslim aged thirteen and three quarters? And also, when is Man Like Mobeen coming back? Because one of the best lines I've heard on television, and it was describing your character. I believe it was your sister says that you are manufactured by Asians and extremely thick. And I just thought that was like the funniest thick meaning, like for American audience, dim-witted, dumb, because his character in the show is incredibly dumb and it's very funny. When are you guys coming back? Like when when do people get to see it? Um, okay, so to answer each question at a time. Thank you. Sorry, um, I forgot. I should have gone slower. For complaints on what you've heard this episode, yes, uh, please do contact my social media manager kate yeah right uh, i knew it was knew, coming i knew it was coming i will block you i will block you absolute <laughs> <No>. delight. Um, <laughs> don't lie now <laughs> um if you want to hear see more from me uh go to tez ilyas my name tez ilyas one word dot com slash hello and that is my link tree and that has links to my book to my merch to my tour to my podcast stand-up series with BBC Radio 4, to Man Like Mobeen, to my Channel 4 pilot, to the Tez O'Clock Show, to everything I've ever done, to my cameo and all my social media links. So they're all on there. TezIlyas.com slash hello.
T-E-Z. In that tone. uh, You have to say it that way. You have to say it out loud when you type it. T-E-Z-I-L-Y-A-S dot com forward slash hello. Okay. Hello. Hello. How, so your book, I've seen it on Amazon. Is it uh, for our international listeners? Does Amazon like? It's coming out. Is, I think you can get it from Kindle now. Kindle now. And the audiobook. And the audiobook, I think you can just get now. Uh, but the hardback, I think it's coming out in North America over the summer. And yeah. Then, I think you can order it now. People yeah, you have can. Done, but obviously just, you can. Yeah, just obviously you have to wait for Amazon Europe to deliver it to you and it can take a bit of time and maybe it's more expensive. I don't know. But Amazon US will have it and other bookshops, etc. will have it in the summer. Amazing. At some point. And when when is Man Like Mobian coming back? Because I've seen Gaz on interviews where he's like, yeah, we're doing it. And I saw like that it looks like there's another series, but I think COVID probably interrupted. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen? Have you, are you up to date? No, don't ruin it. No. Okay, so I won't ruin it then. Please don't. There is a season four planned. There is? Yeah. Okay. Or don't tell me anything else. So okay. we will see you eventually in that same thick brained yeah. character. Yeah, the, okay. the really smart one, yeah. Okay, yeah, incredibly intelligent. Is your si- but is everything the- is, but everything is wicked. Wicked. I heard what you said. That's my catchphrase. I know. That's my catchphrase. Yeah, I know. Which is wicked in case ever you you have to catch his not. You sound totally different on the show too. Like, do you change your... You know what? When, um, bro, yeah, I do. Because sometimes when I'm in the character, I speak like this, isn't it? You know how like like, Latin Americans have their own, like Hispanics have their own accent Mm -hmm. and kind of their own language. I can't do the accent, but like that ASA, all that sort of stuff. Like they have their own vernacular thing. British, Asian, South Asians... We have our own pattern of speech and language, and how we speak in that show is very close to what that is. Oh. Particularly my character. Yeah, sometimes you're. Like, it's a little hard to understand sometimes for us. Yeah. For bro, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> that's kind of the British South Asian equivalent of like your Hispanics. Okay, because you roll your R's, and that's interesting. That's yeah, very yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, um, and is the girl who plays your sister? I should have written down her name. I don't have it in front of me. Eight. She plays Guz's sister. Guz's sister. That's right. Okay. Because uh, I'm like the best friend, right? I'm like the. Like there's a sweet friend and a dumb friend. And how did, did you know him ahead of time? Like, or did you audition for no, this? No, so me and, no, so I did audition, but we met before that. And I remember at the end of our audition, the after I left the room, they turned to me and were like, so how long did you spend rehearsing that? And they were like, and girls was like, no, that was, we literally improvised that. And they were, were they happy that you guys were so good? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. They were just like, I think they, I think they were minded to cast someone with a bit more profile than me at the time Ah, uh, uh, uh. in my role. Got it. And so I think when they saw our chemistry, they were a bit like, what <laughs> have you been doing? What is this? <laughs> like with me watching Rick and Morty. Why <laughs> did that just happen? <laughs> All things but come fuck, back to completely that. Completely unnecessary, that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, when they, so when they saw our chemistry, they were like, we can't really deny that. That's, yeah, you guys seem like, that's yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and or review the show wherever you listen. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind and will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here at Service from Hell directly, send us your receipts at servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Thank you, Tez, so much for being here. This was lovely. You are not at all surprisingly very lovely. Although you have taught me that it's syndic- or organized crime is probably the way to go. Um, but other than teaching our listeners how to be terrible, you were great. So thank you for your time. You're welcome, all America. Right. <laughs> all right, folks. Thanks for listening. Good night.
that was fantastic. You were super fun. Thank you. you were a really good interview, by the way. Oh, that's very kind to say. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really enjoy you're it. Welcome. I like listening. It's good. Yeah, and Thank you're you very good at it. Oh, you're very funny. Um, I cannot believe that you let a fucking first aid <laughs> tent burn down. I cannot believe. So bad. <laughs> it is bad. So um, bad. I think there's nothing you can do. There's no because usually I'm quite good at talking my way out of things, but what, there's nothing you can do with that. There's like <laughs> that, happened, that happened on my watch. <laughs> it's just and the so- thing is, I rem- it wasn't. I did do. I did do a round like at the beginning of the shift. I went round the park and it wasn't burned down. <laughs> well, of course but not. It, it happened on my. But I couldn't be like. I couldn't be like. Oh, it was already there. When oh, I, started I get you. I get like you. you know, it was. It was definitely happened on my watch while I was reading Lord of the Rings. <laughs> 